you. I'm glad to be here tonight to spend a few hours with you. That's a few hours, a few minutes. <laughs> a few minutes, I promise. Uh, as I was just praying and trying to just ask the Lord, what would you have me? You know, I, I felt like this is a good place to start. And uh, that is Romans chapter 8. And so we're going to talk over the next few weeks about this chapter of, of Romans. It is my favorite chapter in the Bible. I was talking with Rich today, and I hate saying that uh, anything's my favorite chapter because it seems like it excludes so many other wonderful things in the Word of God. In this case, it doesn't, but if I had to pick a favorite, I'd say this uh, today is my favorite chapter in, in the Bible. And uh, there are some others that have said things about it. John Piper, who some of you may know, who is a theologian, pastor, wonderful speaker, he calls Romans chapter 8 the great eight. And he has referred to it as the greatest chapter in the Bible. Martin Luther even talked about uh, chapter 8 of Romans and calling it the clearest gospel. So you have the whole book that specifically said things about Romans chapter 8. And then William Tyndale, who was... Really, you know, as, as many of you may know, was martyred for translating the Bible into the English language. He said the clearest gospel of them all, uh, excuse me, the most excellent part of the New Testament. So there are a lot of people who have, over the uh, centuries, over the time of history, have looked at this chapter as a very important chapter in our faith. And for me, it's, uh, as I've worked my way through this and thought about what it is that I wanted to share with you and sought the Lord, I, I feel like it's sort of like building a house as you go through the 8th chapter of Romans. There's a foundation that we're going to talk about, some foundational truths, some things that, are, uh, that would be uh, at, the, at the base level. Then there are things as we go through that we'll talk about that are decisions that have to be made or choices or things like, like, like you would if you were building a house. You want to do certain things here and certain things there. And then in the end, there's going to be a place where it takes shape into a more clear place of where we would actually live our lives. And so I sort of look at it like building a house in that way. But over the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to talk about things within this chapter. And there's four categories. One is, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Then the next one is, I can't change. I can't change what I call the same old, same old. Everything is coming apart is another component of what I'll uh, be sharing with you. And then finally, no one cares about me or loves me. And so as I look at those, each of those areas, the first one I'd like to show you here is I'm not good enough. Within these uh, series of uh, talks that I want to have with you, the part that we'll talk about tonight is I'm not good enough, which is the answer in Romans 8 is no condemnation. Then next week we'll talk about I can't change. So I can't change. It's the same old, same old. I can't change what I'm doing. Why is that? Well, in Romans 8 there's a place that will talk about no frustration. And then next part is everything's coming apart. There are times that we all have in our lives, I'm sure, that we feel like, Everything around us is just coming apart. Things are just not going well. They're not going the way we'd like to. Well, Romans chapter 8 has a thing that just gives you confidence that there's no need to have any, there's, there's no desperation that's required because of what's contained there. And then finally, no one cares for me or loves me 
there's ever a time that you've ever felt like that, even a little bit or a lot of bit, I tell you, this is the, the, the one that will finish off of this series, and that is that there is no separation. No separation. So I want to read this text tonight for the first part of what we're going to discuss, which is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough and, and the concept of no condemnation. So I'm going to read that, and if you would just join me in reading this from your Bibles or from the what we have on the screen here. probably should have separated that into a couple of sections so everybody can see it. But let's read that, if we would, together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free. The Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that's the text of what we're going to talk about tonight. And and uh, as I unpack some of this in terms of the thoughts that I've uh, developed as I've studied this and looked at it and applied it in, into my own life, I want to, uh, to take this a, a piece at a time and hopefully it will be encouraging and, and, and make a positive impact on your spiritual walk. Have you ever thought that there might be a time that if people knew the real you, they wouldn't accept you? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> I'll raise mine. If they really knew me, what I did, all the stuff, would I be accepted? Would they, would they care about me? Have you ever felt like that? Ever. Even in a small way. If you ever feel like that you can't make it in life or that things are mounting up on you too much... Because you're not good enough, have you ever felt that way? That just you can't do it because I'm not good enough to do this. And if people knew what the truth is about me, they, they wouldn't accept me. Well, look, if you've ever felt that way, because I can tell you I have, and my testimony would be that I have, and if you ever do, don't hide from it. Don't hide from that. Just face it head on. The best thing to do as in life is not procrastinate or put things off or put it off to the side. Just face it. And I believe that God has made a deal with us. Okay? He's made a deal with us, and that deal is His Word, and His Word is His bond. That's a deal that we can count on. And one of the things that I really believe that we have to do, and, I, and as we go through this you'll see, I believe we have to believe in His covenants. Believe in the covenants that He has given us. And we've got a verse here, if we can go to that next slide. We have a verse that we have on the, uh, on the, on the outside. Actually, we're going back to where it's uh, right here. Believe in His covenants. That verse is on the way out of this property. When we drive out, you'll see it right there on the sign. 
pastor's talked about this many times in the story behind it. Psalms 89, 34. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. His promises are true, and but we have to believe in it. We have to believe in those. Believe in the covenants. And as I look at this first verse again of Romans 8, 1, so there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we are going to, I am going to have failures in my life. That might be a news flash to some of you, but I tell you, I'm going to have, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to fail. I'm even going to commit a sin. Yes, I am. Guess what? That's just the way it is. That's going to happen. But no matter what, when those things happen, and I'm not, believe me, I, as I share this, I don't want anybody to think that, that what I say there gives someone any, any license to sin or it's okay to sin. In no way is that true. As we all know. But this is what happens when we do mess up. I want you to know that God is not mad at you. God's not mad at you. He's not mad at me when that happens. And this is all of what's contained in this chapter. So in Psalms 103, 13, and 14, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He understands my struggles. He understands when, when I mess up. He gets it. And he's not mad at me. He's the good shepherd. John 10, 11 says. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Look, if he's the good shepherd, what does a good shepherd do? You've heard this illustration before. You have a herd of sheep. One goes astray. They're going that way. What does a good shepherd do? Is he going to say, forget about that one? Oh, man. Him again? Come on. What are you doing? That's not what he's going to do. A good shepherd's going to bring you back in. He's going to try to get you to remember that staying on this path and going this way is what you should do. With love and with concern. That's what a good shepherd's going to do. He is our good shepherd. He's not mad at us. He wants to encourage us, in fact, to stay on track. So the next time that you mess up or something happens, let him lead you like a good father and a good shepherd would do right out of that situation. See, I don't believe, for me, I don't believe that our God is a lightning bolt God. Have you ever been around someone that says, I'm going to have to stand over here because I don't want to get struck by lightning when you say something. Oh, let me stand over here so I don't get struck by lightning. That's, again, that's that's said in jest, but, but there are people who believe that we serve a lightning bolt God. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that God wants to come in and hit us with a lightning bolt of, of judgment. I believe He has amazing love for us and cares for us so deeply. So I, for me, this is something that I felt like and how I deal. When I've had things where I have failures or, or things where I've messed up in my life, I don't want to deal with that by having a fear or being afraid of God. Now remember, when I say fear, I don't mean not having a respect for Him. That's what the Bible talks about when we fear the Lord. And we'll talk about that in a minute. I don't want to be afraid of a God. Because I, I remember a story that I was thinking about for this, and I said, you know, 
that this, this might be something that could help you understand how I would feel about it. I went to a basketball camp when I was young. And there were many coaches, and they had different groups of players, and they were teaching us different things. And as we were in that camp, there was this one coach, for whatever reason, he was angry. He was mad. He had bad days. And he took it out on us. Everybody else was fine. I don't remember anyone else having any issue like that. This guy, I, I, I didn't like him. In fact, I was afraid of him. Now, again, I was a young boy, but I was afraid of him. And, in fact, one time I walked in, I'll never forget it. I was walking in the gym, and there was a group of guys that I knew over here, and I was going to walk towards them because they were some friends that I'd made. And I walked in there, and I saw him walking towards them, and I turned and I walked in because I was scared of him. I did not want to be around him. And I think, for me, I don't want to deal with things in my life with a God that I'm afraid of. He loves me. He cares about me so deeply. And do you want to be close to people you're afraid of? Of course not. I don't want to be close to that coach because I was afraid of him. I was afraid of what he was going to say, what he was going to do. I want to be in a place where... I'm in an intimate relationship with him. And I know that I can do that because I don't have to be afraid of him because he's not a God of lightning bolts. He's a God of amazing love. And another thing is that, that, that I just wanted to talk about this no condemnation. When I'm, If you feel like I'm not good enough, God does not punish us. God does not punish us. Now, stay with me because I want to make sure that I'm... That I'm making my point clear here. God does not punish us in this verse that's on the screen, Psalm 103, 13 and 14. He has not dealt with us according to our sins as we deserve, not rewarded us with punishment according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear and worship Him. The Amplified Version says, with awe-filled respect and deepest reverence. That's the fear of God that they're speaking of there. Respect. So as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. See, God doesn't want to punish us. He does not punish us, in fact. He corrects us sometimes, as he should. But he's not a, he's not a punishing God. His Facebook... Uh, so I posted this on Facebook the other day, this slide. Maybe, hopefully, you can see it there at the top, what it says. It says, stop remembering what God has forgotten. Think about that just for a minute. Just press in on that just for a second. Stop remembering what He has forgotten. As far as the East is from the West. That's what we're dealing with here. He's not a God that wants to punish you. He wants to love you. He wants a relationship with you. And the difference between this, I just wanted to show you as I, I just looked this up for my own benefit, the definition of punishment. And when I looked it up, it was very interesting. Look at this. To punish, to impose a penalty for a fault, an offense, or a violation. To inflict a penalty for the commission of an offense. Retribution, retaliation. To deal with roughly or harshly. To inflict injury on. That's punishment. Correction, on the other hand, is the action or an instance of correcting. Amendment, rectification. Bringing into conformity with a standard. 
a standard of living, a standard of what God expects us to do, bringing that into conformity with that. That's what a correction is. Something substituted in place of what is wrong. So again, I just I say that because I just want that point to really be understood is that God does not punish us. And He should, and we should want Him to, correct us. There's a story uh, that I was going to share, and I guess I will. Uh, I, a bit. I didn't know if I should, but I will. About my son Joshua, who's now you know, bigger than I am. <laughs> it was good this happened back when he was five or six years old. There was a time when I had to discipline him, and I, I, I spanked him with, uh, with a, an event that occurred that I, I don't even remember what it was, but I know he needed it, and I didn't really want to have to do it. And it's the old saying that this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. As a kid, I never believed that, by the way. <laughs> I don't think I ever believed that, even though I'm pretty sure it was said to me every time that happened. But, but it was true. It, it was hard to do, you know, and it's hard to see a little face when, when you're correcting him. Not punishing him, correcting him. But I'll never forget, I did that, and he was crying, he was very upset, he was sobbing and breathing very heavily. And, and he was in the room, and I left the room, went and sat in another room for a little while. After a few minutes, I came back in to check on him. I said, hey, Joshua. He said, how you doing, buddy? And he looked at me. I'll never forget this like it was, it was yesterday. I can see him right now. He just looked up at me. He's six years old. And he says, Daddy, did you spank me because you love me? And, and that was from that. And I didn't tell him that. I, I remember I was like, I didn't say that to him. I'm doing this because I love you. I wasn't trying to reason it out with him. But that's how he understood it, because of how I delivered it, I guess. And so I think it's the same in our lives when we get corrected and we get disciplined. It's because he loves us, not because he's going to punish us. There's sometimes I've had a, a thing, I don't know if you have friends like this, or and maybe you do, who say uh, something that happens to them, whatever it might be, they'll say, that's God getting me back for something. Has anybody ever heard that or had someone around you say that? Well, I did this. That must be God getting me back for something. I remember one time I was driving with a guy who was working with me. And we were uh, driving to a destination. And we went through a drive-thru to get something to eat. And as we drove, went through the drive-thru, we got our food. And we, and we took off down the road. And he was like, oh, this is God getting me back. They put onions on my burger. This is God getting me back for something. And I thought about it at the time. I'm like... He's not, that's, he's not doing that. But, and, and I think he was maybe saying that as, a, as something tongue-in-cheek. But there's a, sometimes there's a deeper meaning in that, that people sometimes internalize that, that, that God is getting me back for something. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's not going to punish us. He's not going to get back at us for something we did. He doesn't want us to eat onions on our burger if we don't want them. <laughs> he just doesn't. I just don't feel like that's the God that I serve. I know it isn't. Here's the next thing. God does not reject us. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? God does not reject us. The Lord will not reject His people. He will not abandon His special possession. We're His special possession. That's who we are. He's not us. He's going to treat us like a special possession. Think about I, I, this illustration that I, I, I think I read somewhere, but 
about how Jesus, when he carried that cross uphill, he had, after all the beating and stabbing and just abuse that he took for us, then a cross was put on his shoulder. He's got to work his way uphill until Simon of Cyrene stepped in. And as he's heading toward Golgotha, this is where he's headed, with that cross on his shoulder. I just thought about anybody, whomever, anybody after all that he went through would put a cross working his way up a hill to ultimately go to what he knew was his death. Would he ever turn the cold shoulder to me? He's not going to turn that same shoulder that pulled that cross up toward Calvary and turn it on me. Ever! He's not going to reject me. Not ever, not one single time. I know that. I absolutely can know that. I'm not going to get the cold shoulder from the one who shouldered a cross for me. For me. We may want to do that sometimes. We may want to keep him at arm's length a little bit. But not him. He's not going to reject us. We can reject him. He's not going to reject us. The next thing I want to just say quickly here is God does not remove blessings from us. Now, I want to be clear. I know there are times Saul had blessing removed from him. That was was in a circumstance of intentional disobedience. There are other examples of that. I want to make sure that, that, that I do clarify that there are consequences for sin. I understand that. That is an absolute fact. There are consequences for sin. But God does not take our seat away from the table just because we fail. We still have that seat at the table. We still can be in the blessing of God even when we make a mistake. I don't believe He removes His blessing from us. In context, I mean, we could, again, we can estrange ourselves from the things of God. We can do that, but He will always have a seat at His table for us. So, the question then I would ask is, and try to answer is, for whom is this promise made? Keeping the covenant's promise, there is therefore now no condemnation. Who is this promise made? Who is it for? It's for all of us who are in Christ. Now, I'm coming in to a point where I want to make sure you're following everything that I'm getting to right here. This is the important part. All of us who are in Christ, and the Word of God says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It is for everyone who is in Christ, that life of living where if you think you're not good enough, you can live with no condemnation. It's for everyone in Christ. That's the key to what I'm talking about tonight. I hope that comes across. The key to the idea of no condemnation is being in Christ. Not in church. Not in ministry. Not in service, not in the praise team, not any of that. That's all great and that's wonderful. Being in Christ. That's how we live. 
No condemnation means God saying to me, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Because you are in Christ. So if He doesn't condemn me, God Almighty is not going to condemn me for the things I'm doing. Why would I condemn myself? Why am I going to walk around in defeat? Why am I going to let the enemy get the best of me by convincing me with the lies that he wants to tell that I should walk around with guilt and shame and condemnation? No! (laughs) I'm in Christ! I'm in Christ, so my message to you tonight is don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him lie to you. Because it's about who you are in Him and how He sees you. How He sees me. It's not how all of the other things in the world surround us and the circumstances. It's how He sees us that matters. That's it. Don't let Him lie to you and tell you anything different than that. Don't let Him castigate you, ridicule you, belittle you, depress you, discourage you slander you. Don't let him do any of that. Don't let it be a demoralizing effect on you. Don't let the enemy lie to you about who you are in him. Look at it how he sees you. Amen? How he sees you. Thank God for that. Thank God that I can walk around in my life as imperfect and as broken as I am, and I know how He sees me. How He sees me. He sees me with no condemnation. He sees me because He loves me. He sees me as His child, and He doesn't want to punish me. He wants to just correct me. He sees me in a way that I can't even see myself sometimes. But that's how He always sees me. That's what I want us to do. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. It is rooted, our identity is, in freedom-giving mercy. That mercy that gives us freedom and liberty. Our identity is that of a child of God. I think if you've been here on Sunday, maybe once or twice, you've heard me just say it. I say it when I'm in my house by myself. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. That's my identity. My identity is that I'm a child of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now think about that. You are too, if you're in Christ. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Does it get any bigger than that? Does it get any bigger than that? Come on now. That's where our identity is. It's a God of forgiveness. He wants an intimate relationship with us. That's what He seeks. It's not something that He doesn't have time for or He's not going to... He's not going to respond to. He wants that. He wants that intimate relationship. And we have the hope of spending eternity with Him. We have the hope of spending eternity with Him. 
I couldn't even begin to describe that to you, so I'm not going to try tonight. <laughs> but it is this truth, this truth, that gives us the security, the hope, the confidence in our lives. It's not based on our identity as we see it. It's based on what He accomplished at the cross. I'm going to say that one more time. It is not based on our identity or what we think or how we see ourselves. It's based on what He accomplished at the cross. At the cross! Sometimes I feel like, though, and I just, you know, I'll be honest with you, I feel like the devil's nagging me. He's just trying to mess with me that day. If you ever feel that way again, you don't have to raise your hand. But, I mean, I just feel like he's nagging me. Now, I'm not going to say like a wife nags a husband. Because, <laughs> unfortunately, I have one that doesn't. Thank the Lord. There's a joke. I, I, I just, I'm going to digress for a minute. There's an old hillbilly farmer. Okay, he... <laughs> He had a wife, unfortunately, that nagged him, nagged him, nagged him, complained, 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 nag, 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 all the time. The only solace this old hillbilly farmer ever got was when he got behind his old trusty mule and got out in the field and was plowing the field. That was how he got his solace. He got to get out and work in the field. So one day he's out there working in the field, plowing away. His wife comes out and brings him lunch, and he thinks, wow, that's nice, okay. Getting lunch today. So he pulls his mule over in the shade and sits down on a stump. Starts to eat his lunch. Didn't get to the first bite of his sandwich before. Complain, complain, complain. Nag, nag, nag. On and on and on. He's like, man, is it ever going to end? All of a sudden, his trusty mule's hind legs kicked out in the back, kicked her right in the head dead. Right there. A few days later, at the funeral, his pastor's looking over and he sees some of the women mourners that are coming over to offer their condolences and he's looking from a distance and they come over and they say whatever they're saying to him and he's nodding his head in agreement. Then he sees some of the men mourners come over and as they're talking to him he's shaking his head in disagreement. He's observing this from, from afar. So after the service was over he came over and he said I kind of ask you before the service started, when the women came over, you were nodding your head in agreement. What were they saying to you? He said, oh, they were saying such nice things about how pretty my wife was and what a pretty dress she wore and how wonderful of a person she was. So I was nodding in agreement. He said, well, what were the men saying when you were shaking your head in disagreement? He goes, oh, well, they wanted to know if the mule was for sale. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a joke about... About nagging. But, I, you know, i got to tell you, nagging is something that the devil does when he, because it's little doses of consistent things that he tries to work. Sometimes he'll work in other ways. He'll try to just throw a big, fat roadblock at you. Other times it's just little things. Just discourage. I had that today, driving down here. Just little things coming in, just nagging. And I just took authority over it and just threw him out and, Resisted the devil. He fleed. That was it. I win. in the story, as always. But but that's what he does. And and 
I just think that in the process of, as we go through all these things, as I wrap up here, I just want you to know there is a process, and I think we should trust it. God has a process here in, in this chapter of Romans. And there's three quick things I just want to, in this portion of the first part of this, this Romans chapter 8. And that is, you can't, he can, here's how. Now remember this. You can't, but he can, and here's how. So we just have to accept it that way. So I'm going to read again just these, this next part of just verses 2 through 3, 2 through 4 again. Just read along with me if you would. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You can't. He did. He set us free. For God has done, you can't. He can. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He did it. See, He can, we can't. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, here's how, who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. That's how. So sometimes we just have to accept the fact that it's hard to do, that we can't do this. We can't. And that's contrary to everything you hear. There's motivational speakers, and they'll tell you, you can, you can, and you're great, and you're great, and oh, you're this and that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with positive reinforcement. All that's wonderful. But the fact is, there's just things we can't do, people. There are just things I cannot do. I've had to resign myself to that fact, and that is not easy for me, and maybe for you, to do. To say that I'm going to just get out of the way because I can't do this. But I do know that He can, and there are certain areas in our lives, I believe, that we can't really impact change. I mean, I can change the way I look a little bit. I could maybe exercise a little more. I could go do a makeover if I was a female or a male, too, for that matter. Get your hair changed, different color, wear different makeup. There's a lot of things. Wear different clothes. There's things we can do that change our appearance or change certain things about us, even change our personality, change our approach. But the real deep internal things, the real uh, inner things, the eternal things, those are the things that we need God to change. We need God to do that. We can't do that, but He can. He can. He can help us walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And all the images we see, and this has been talked about especially for young people, but for everyone, all the images we see around us in our world about how we should look, how we should talk, how we should act, what we should say, what kind of clothes we should wear, what we should be like, all those things are things that the world says, this is what you have to do to be accepted. But you see, God says that He wants us to change into His image, and that's how He sees us. Again, what I said before, that's how He sees us. That's what we want to be. We want to be all those things. If we do have nice clothes and have this and that, that's all fine. But that's not what matters. It's those inner things, those eternal things that God can change in our life and that make it to where we start to see ourselves how 
He sees us. See who He is and what He wants to do in our lives. Now, I want to tell you this last thing and we're, we're, and we're done. He can do things in our lives through His power that we can never do. I'm going to say that one more time. Make sure you got it. He can do things in our lives through His power that we can never do. God made us. He designed us. He put us together and birthed us into this earth to live connected to His power. That's how He designed us. That doesn't mean we always do that, but that's what He designed us to do, to be connected to His power. Paul said in a prayer to the church of Ephesus, he's in prison at the time, this, Ephesians 1, 19, 20. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, us who are in Christ? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. Love that. Above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us that believe? I'll tell you. It's like this. These projectors that I keep turning around and looking at, and you've seen some of these visual aids and the things that we've been showing you tonight, if we unplug those right now, they'd be dark. They'd be void. They'd have nothing. They would just be an instrument up there hanging on the wall, but it wouldn't do anything. But the moment that we take and plug that in, just that one little thing, plug that into the source of the power... All of a sudden, it can provide things to help you read, to help you see, to, to illustrate things, to watch a great movie that we watched the other night here. For those of you that were here, watched a powerful movie with a tremendous message right there on those screens. They don't work if they don't have a power source. So for us, it's the same thing. I mean, I, I just believe that God wants us to not walk around and not be connected to His power where we're walking in that victory of His power. Every single day. Our Christian walk is like that. And there's no weakness. There's nothing to be ashamed about it. There's nothing wrong with that. To say that I need Him. I need Him in my life. I need to be connected to His power. And that gives me victory over sin. It gives me victory over my failures. It gives me victory over my brokenness. It heals my body. It heals my mind. It heals my spirit. It does everything for me when I'm walking in Christ according to the Spirit in His power. Now, that's what we want to do every day. It's not an automatic thing. It doesn't happen just automatically. That's what we want to do every day. Today I got up and I prayed this prayer. I do this so I put on the helmet of salvation, God. Today, thank you for saving me. You saved me. Helmet of salvation. Belt of truth. There's truth that I know that I'm reading in my devotion today. There's verses that I'm reading today. That's truth. I'm putting it on. 
breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to try to be in your righteousness today, clothed in your righteousness, not of my own doing, but of you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to have the sword of the Spirit arming me today, which is the Word of God. I've used it several times today, by the way. That's my weapon. Sword of the Spirit. My defense is the shield of faith. I'm putting it on my arm today. So when those fiery darts come in and those little nags come in and those little things start coming against me, something, here's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I will do battle with you today. Because I'm going to try to be connected to His power today. And if I'm connected to His power, I can't be defeated. I cannot be defeated. Hear that today. You cannot be defeated if you're connected to His power. You might have a setback. There might be something that occurs. There might be a failure. But God is not He's not going to reject you. He's not going to take that seat away from his table from you, remove his blessings from you. He is going to accept you, and he is going to correct you, and he's going to be that good shepherd. He's going to love you. And he wants you to be connected to that power. So I I, I hope tonight that you take from this There is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Amen? He's not going to condemn us. He's not here to harm us. He's here to help us because He loves us. And so my prayer for you tonight is that, that as you leave here this evening, that there is a time that you recognize that I am made to be connected to His power and that there is therefore now no condemnation on the things where I failed, and that God is going to continue to bless me and work in my life if I just let Him do that. Be connected to His power, and don't let the enemy lie to you about anything other than how He sees you. So let's just pray for you tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time that You've given me to share some things that are meaningful to me and helpful to me and I I hope to have been encouraging and helpful to others. And Lord, my prayer is is that we can be in every way connected to the power of the resurrection that you've made available to us through your word, that you've decreed in your word is available to us and that we walk every day knowing that the enemy cannot have any ground in our life, that we are not going to be under condemnation, that we are going to be under grace, and that you, Lord, that you, Lord, are going to help us every day, as the good shepherd that you are, to move us ahead and further not only our walk with you, but to further be connected into your power that we take authority and live and walk in victory with you. In Jesus' name, I pray for that, for everyone in this place today. Amen. Amen. And I would just say at this point, I know we've got a few minutes after 8, anybody that may want prayer tonight, if you want to have prayer, and as a matter of fact, let's just do this. If we